Hello, everybody, and welcome to the EP show, episode numero four. That's right. This is episode four. And you know what's so funny about this show, this podcast? I've actually, I actually had a little bit of a change of heart at the beginning of the week, and I almost just stopped doing the EP show and tried to focus on doing individual YouTube videos. Granted, I might still do that, but I feel like, you know, like everything's been really busy this week. So like I've had to do a lot of shit. So I think that stopped me from doing what I eventually wanted to do, which is like put out just individual YouTube videos and do that. But you know what? I'm a fucking podcaster. You know what I mean? I love doing podcasts. What the fuck this fucking, you know, this shit. That's the point of this. This all started from my empty opinions podcast. So. I feel like I should keep with my strengths instead of trying to do YouTube videos. Granted, I can focus on YouTube content later on, but I think I should prioritize my two podcasts that I'm doing, which is the EB show and the Empty Opinions podcast. But uh, yeah, and I mean, let's just do a little bit of housekeeping before we start the actual episode. Make sure you guys follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Eladio Talks, E-L-A-D-I-O Talks. Also, make sure you follow the podcast, this the, the Empty Opinions brand on social media at my empty opinions on instagram and twitter the reason i changed it instead of empty opinion pod is because like i said i want to create like an overall brand i want empty opinions to be a brand not just a podcast so that's why the youtube channel is just empty opinions you know i'm clarifying when it's a podcast versus it's just content in the youtube channel listen i'm trying to grow this shit man empty opinions i wanted to be one of those brands i wanted to be like fucking buzzfeed or source fed or shit like that you know what i mean that's my that's my whole goal with this but uh yeah that's uh that's all the housekeeping if you're listening in the apple podcast make sure you rate it uh five stars i'll read the review on the podcast either on empty opinions or here wherever it doesn't matter and also, I guess, just make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel, like I mentioned. Make sure you subscribe, share the videos if you enjoyed the content and want to share it with somebody else. Like the video, comment on it, engage. I need that sweet engagement, brother. All right. Uh, let's just, you know, this episode is going to be a little bit special because it's not going to be, um, you know, the usual structure of empty rants and then empty reviews. Instead, it's going to be... The best of 2020 so far. That's what this episode is going to be about. Now we're in July, so the first six months of the year have gone past. And boy, what a fucking wild year it has been. I mean, it's been a fucking crazy-ass year. Nobody could have ever foreseen this coming. Uh, But fuck it, content still came out. And so I'm going to do, you know, I'm going to do a best of 20 in four categories. Movies, TV shows, albums, and EPs. So I'm going to do a top five of those four categories and let you know what the fuck I'm feeling right now so far in the year. Uh, let me just start with, uh, let's go straight into movies. So now I'm going to talk to you guys about the best movies, my top five movies of 2020 so far, my top five favorite, but I'm going to title it the best because that gets the most views. If you say my favorite, who's like, who the fuck are you? You know, why do I care about what your favorite thing is? But if I, you know, confused, if I confuse objectivity with subjectivity it's going to give me a lot of views. So let's start with movies. And number five is come to daddy. This is a, um, a movie that. You know, hasn't gotten a lot of traction, but I knew I wanted to see it ever since I saw the trailer. I'm actually, I guess I should probably look up, you know, what the fuck these movies are, right? Like, give you a rundown of what they are. Uh, Yeah, I'll give you guys. So, Come to Daddy. This is a movie by, it's starring Elijah Wood. Uh, It is directed by Aint Aint Timpson, and it was written by Toby Harvard, uh, and that's it. 
And Come to Daddy's basically, here's a description of it. It says on IMDb, a man in his 30s travels to a remote cabin to reconnect with his estranged father. So that's the basic. It's a thriller, horror, mystery, comedy. It's like one of those genre-bending genre films you know what i mean and i mean i just really enjoyed it because it's super fucking unpredictable like you do not know where the fuck the movie is going even though you know something's gonna happen that's what i remember from watching this movie at the beginning of the year like you know something's gonna happen right the way it's being set up if you've seen enough you know thrillers in your life you know when does the other shoe when is the other shoe gonna drop what the fuck is going on you know what the what, what why is his why is elijah woods you know the character elijah woods dad so weird in the movie like what the fuck is going on and then you get to and then it gets to it and then it's a satisfying twist and then it's a satisfied satisfying second half of the movie so it's like and the reason i'm saying it's satisfying just so everybody knows because the first half like i said you know that the other shoes are gonna drop and you're watching the movie more so for that than you are for the first half because the first half isn't that interesting because it's laying a lot, it's creating a lot of suspense, right? I think that's the point of it. But, you know, by the end of it, you're like, okay, there we go. Now we got her stuck to landing. And it actually has a lot more heart than you would expect. So it's not just a typical, you know, thriller, just, you know, you know, violence, you know, uh, twist, action, like none of that shit. Surprises, none of that. It's not just that. It also has heart, which I really appreciate it. But yeah, that is my number five movie of the year. Now let's move on to number four. That is going to be the problem. I think this is actually the last big movie that came out in theaters. It just so happened to came out. And then two weeks later, all hell broke loose in the United States. But that is The Invisible Man. That's right. That's my number four. Directed by Lee Wanell. It was written by Lee Wanell. Uh, and it stars Elizabeth Moss, Oliver Jackson Cohen, and Harriet Dyer. And basically, the movie's about this woman who's in this abusive relationship with this mega millionaire and then she leaves him and then he kills himself but maybe he didn't because now there's an invisible person chasing him chasing her and basically this is just a modern retelling of the typical uh universal monster the, the invisible man story right and it's actually really fucking good now look people are saying that this movie isn't good because it has a lot of um progressive ideas like you know gaslighting oh this movie's about gaslighting therefore it must be some sjw propaganda no it's a good movie it's a it's a really good movie you know the performances are amazing the fucking i mean this movie gets bleak like i'm talking about bleak bleak it has some great action which is not what you expect coming into the first you know, when you walk into the movie and you see the first, like, 10 minutes, you don't expect it to be, like, an action movie, but it does turn into that, and it's a great action movie, and there's a great fucking ending, a super satisfying ending, you know, like I said, super bleak, it goes places you would not believe, but that makes it all the more, like, gut-punching, you know what I mean? That's a good buzzword, gut-punching, uh, and yeah, I, you know, like I said, Elizabeth Moss' performance was fucking amazing, the way they, Lee Winnell, directs this invisible man and putting us in his point or like the way he uses the camera to suggest there might be an invisible man but there's nothing but there might be something but there isn't anything you know that's fucking genius and yeah i just love the way that lee one l did that so that's my number number four movie of the year i probably should have like looked up the you know the 
the movies on IMDb before I started talking about them. But listen, I'm just a guy who doesn't give a fuck about the rules. You know, I usually just fucking bullshit about the things. But now I kind of want to do a, a formal recommendation, so I have to look up the movie. But here it is. My number three movie of the year. That's going to be The Platform or El Hoyo in Spanish. That's the original title. It's a Netflix movie. It premiered in, in Sundance or some film festival last year. And it's finally on Netflix this year. And holy shit, this movie is fucking wild. And not only, and here's the thing. And look, I'm reading the, the names of the directors. And look, I have a Spanish accent, so I guess I can do it. The direct It was directed by Galder Gatzelu. Gal, yeah, even I can't do it. Yeah. A lot of weird-looking Spanish names are involved in this movie. But the premise is basically... I'll read it because it's kind of complicated. It's simple, but it's kind of complicated. A vertical prison with one cell per level, two people per cell, only w- one only food. What the fuck? Only one food platform in two minutes per day to feed up to down. An endless nightmare trapped in the hole. That's a weird fucking weirdly, you know, submitted <laughs> summary of this movie or synopsis. But whatever. Basically, this building, everybody, you go in there. You And listen, a lot of the surprises how everything works. You know what I mean? So I don't want to reveal a lot. But it's basically this building where, like, food goes down and there's people in each level. And, you know, the people at the top have all the food. And then depending on how greedy you are, uh, you know, it gets less and less and less food until the very bottom. Right? That's the premise of the movie. And holy shit. Now, it's, one, it's for sure the most violent movie I've seen this year. I mean, no doubt. I mean, there's some fucking wild horror like if you're a horror fan this is the type of shit that you want to see because this is some gnarly shit dude gnarly yeah but it's uh but it still has a lot to say about society which is great you know all horror great horror movies right now are doing that the same thing that the invisible man did the platform is doing um you know it's it's quick it's 90 minutes but it packs a lot in there like there's a lot of reveals like every 10 minutes like something fucking new and huge happens so like the pacing is amazing the performances are amazing and i mean the ending is kind of eh you know some people didn't like it i enjoyed it because i enjoyed the whole ride and it's not like the ending ruined everything before so i'm just kind of like you know neutral about the ending but it doesn't ruin the movie whatsoever so make sure you check it out on on netflix that's my number two movie of the year and now no that's my number three now let's get to my number two which i just recently watched like not that long ago uh like about a month ago and this movie fucking i I did a review of this movie i believe yeah i did a review of this so you can find the review on the youtube channel but basically, number two is The Vast of Night. It's a small little super, super small budget, super indie movie directed by Andrew Patterson, written by Andrew Patterson and Craig W. Sanger. And it stars Sierra McCormick, Jake Horowitz, and Gail Croner. And it's basically this mystery sci-fi film it takes place in the 50s. And well, I'll, I'll read the synopsis. In the twilight of the 1950s, on one fateful night in New Mexico, young switchboard operator Faye and charismatic radio DJ Everett discover a strange audio frequency that could change their small town in the future forever. Yeah, that's a good synopsis. I mean, look, listen, the, the, the thing that really struck me about this movie is how fucking, you know, how much personality it has and how unique it felt and how much of a fucking vision this director had, right? Because, you know, and some people might not like it because there's a lot of dialogue, you know what I mean? And the directing is kind of off-putting in the way it's done. You know, like the film begins 
with a super long like one take and it doesn't seem like anything interesting is happening because it's just this person walking and talking and the guy is directing it uh but from the moment the movie starts it's like something weird about it and already put me on like what the fuck is going on like you get if you're really paying attention I'm like what the fuck is going on and then you know it starts to build it starts to build and i mean it goes to incredible heights tackling this sci-fi subject i don't want to say exactly what it is you'll find out but the way they did this sci-fi story with what i assume wasn't a lot of money well no what i know wasn't a lot of money with a super small budget is super impressive because it just shows that limitations sometimes can be really good for your movie because the way they did it was super fucking unsettling like the reason i love this movie so much you know as as, as much as i enjoyed the craft of this film and just what the film was in general there was one moment that really fucking struck me it was you know four people in a car and this scene was one of the most terrifying scenes i've seen in a long time and it wasn't even that scary it was just fucking creepy and the way they did it and i mean the ambiance around the world at this time also probably had something to do with why i loved it so much like the riots were going on you know the world seemed like it was ending is that vibe going on it still might be you know that vibe might still be out there but that was the vibe i was getting but uh yeah that when that happened I was watching this movie and it kind of all connected. It was all interwoven in a way. That's where subjectivity comes in. You know, the way I was feeling, the way the world was when I was watching this movie definitely influenced my love for it. So there it is. The Device of Night. You can watch that on uh, Prime Video. It's streaming now. And now my number one movie of the year. And I have to preface this because this is my number one movie of the year. But this movie hasn't come out yet. It's called Bad Trip. That's my number one movie of the year. That's the movie with Eric Andre, the 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 hen prank movie with uh, Eric Andre and Laurel Howery. It's a comedy. This was supposed to come out in theaters in April, uh, but fucking coronavirus ruined everything. So now it's supposed to be coming on to Netflix pretty soon. I don't know exactly when, but the reason I've seen this movie is because it leaked. Uh, and um, somehow I caught my hands on it because I was really in, this was one of my most anticipated movies of the year. So I was like, "Fuck!" I mean, I'm just I just gotta check it out. You told me it leaked like somehow Amazon leaked it out there, so now it's out there for anybody to watch it if you want. And I watched it because that's like I said, this was uh, my most anticipated movie of the year, and uh, it was fucking everything I hoped it would be. You know what it is? This movie basically. You know, and you is the 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 con the synopsis. Oh fuck it, I'll read the synopsis. This mix of a scripted buddy comedy road movie and a real hidden prank show follows the outrageous misadventures of two buds stuck in a rut who embark on a cross country, cross country road trip to New York City. The storyline sets up shocking real pranks. Right, so it's basically they're doing like hidden hidden uh, hidden camera pranks. Mixed with an actual story that creates this movie very similar to Bad Grandpa. But a hundred times better than Bad Grandpa. And I'll get into that in a second. But it was directed by Kitao Sakurai, who also did Bad Grandpa. It was written by Eric Andre, Catherine Borrell, and three more people. And it stars Eric Andre, Lil Ro Howery, and Tiffany Haddish. And basically, like I said, it's a hundred times better than Bad Grandpa. Just because the pranks were better thought out. Here's the thing about this movie. This movie is basically... The mainstream version, the more out outlined and um, 
what's the term like accessible this is the more out the more fine-tuned and accessible version of the eric andre show and the eric andre show is one of my favorite shows of all time it has my exact type of humor i fucking die laughing every time i see it so you best believe i was dying laughing watching this movie and like i said it is accessible and it has a feel-good story at the end of the day that everybody's gonna enjoy you know what i mean so that's the thing I love so much about this movie. It's for sure, it's the funniest. Like, one of the funniest movies I've seen in a long time. Like, probably since 22 Jump Street. I think this is my mo- the most I've laughed since that movie. And 22 Jump Street came out like six years ago, right? Like, Game Night was funny. You know, I enjoyed that. And there's been some movies in the past that were really funny. But 22 Jump Street as a pure comedy was the most I've laughed in a long time. And this got real close to it if not surpassed it and just the pranks were inventive the way they were telling the story was it all was it all felt more it it felt groundbreaking in a way that bad grandpa didn't because the pranks in bad grandpa felt kind of disconnected from the story in this movie they make it a point to connect both in a seamless way and that's why i loved it and that's my number one movie of the year bad trip uh a movie that hasn't even really come out yet so make sure you check it out on netflix when it does come out i promise you won't regret it it's a shame that this movie's not gonna come out in theaters because this feels like the perfect theater movie it really does but you know it is what it is miss uh miss covid is doing her thing all right, that's uh, those are my top ten movies of twenty. Not top ten, my top five. I'm gonna do a top ten at the end of the year. But right now, so far in the year, that's my top five favorite movies of the year or best, depending on, you know, somebody says this is uh, <laughs> clickbait. Listen, these are my five favorites, but it's also the best. I don't know how to explain it, but it's just what it is. All right, those are my movies. Now let's get into freaking. TV shows. That's right. Let's get into TV shows. So the first show I want to be talking about is show number five in my list of top five TV shows of 2020. That's the devs. The new show from Alex Garland. You know, Alex Garland, he did uh, Ex Machina and he did uh, Annihilation. So you know what kind of content he likes. He likes hard sci-fi. He likes trippy shit. And basically, FX gave him the fucking budget and freedom to do that same shit over eight episodes. And that's exactly what he did. Now, I haven't seen that many shows. So, it being five, it's not like I had a hundred things to choose from and this was five. Because, you know, as much as I did enjoy it, I didn't fully love it. You know what I mean? Because I guess it just never really grabbed me after the first two episodes. I feel like the momentum in the first two episodes was almost unparalleled and I was like... Oh shit, I really need to see what the fuck is going to happen next. This show is really good. Actually, not the first two. Like, episodes five. Like, around episode five is when it kind of starts to drag a little bit. It's not as plot heavy. It's almost like meditative in a way. And it kind of loses me. But, I mean, you can't deny the fucking artistry of it. It's, it's on par with the qualities of his previous works. You know what I mean? Like, Annihilation and Ex Machina is definitely up there. You know, the 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 ideas that are explored about, you know, the, the simulation theory and if we have free will or not is very, it's all heady shit that, you know, as much as, you know, I guess the top five could be recommending, but I guess if I'm recommending this show, I have to just say, be aware that this show is very heady and it's hard to understand if you're not really paying attention. So that's the only thing I will tell you guys to do if you do decide to watch this show, but it is available on Hulu that's season one of devs 
by Alex Garland. That's my fifth favorite show of the year. Now let's move on to number four, which is another Hulu show. Another season one and another show that came out around the same time that I didn't really expect to like better than devs. And that's a new little dicky show, Dave, on Hulu. Uh, basically, the show is a semi-autobiographical. Uh, fuck, I can't say it. Semi-autobiographical. Whoa, that didn't even sound right, but I'll just keep going because I don't want to try again because I might mess up again. Uh, basically, a show about Lil Dicky's life. Uh, he's, you know, he's, he directs, he writes, it's basically his baby, you know what I mean? And what he has said, he's always wanted to do. And I guess he used rap to get to this point, but this show was really fucking funny. And besides, well, it's not that funny. Let me, let me retract that. It's funny. It's a funny show, but I didn't like die laughing in a lot of the episodes. But the one thing that this show does have is a very irreverent sense of humor and it takes liberties, you know what I mean? Like, in terms of, you know, it's storytelling. In a show like this, you ex you expect episode to episode just to be, like, a very a very basic comedy. But they really do try out new stuff, and they get heavy when they need to. It's like one of those things that now every half-hour show can't just be a comedy, you know, to be lauded as, like, critically acclaimed. You know, besides Brooklyn Nine-Nine and Parks and those kind of, you know, cookie-cutter comedies. If you want to stand out now as a 30-hour show, 30-minute 30 show, you have to add more more shit. It has to be dramatic. It has to be interesting. It has to be suspenseful. It has to be groundbreaking. It has to be brand-new shit in it, and that's what Dave did, and that's why I really enjoyed it. I mean, especially the finale, that's for sure one of those examples of, like, yeah. Yeah, this show is very unique, and, and uh, Dave, Dave Bird, the guy behind the show, he's very entertaining. So, yeah, that's uh, that's my recommendation of Dave season one on Hulu, which somehow I liked more than Devs season one, if you could even believe that. This silly comedy show, I enjoyed more of this fucking dramatic, you know, sci-fi show, but it is what it is. Um, all right, now let's move on to number three. My number three show of the year is Ozark season three on Netflix. Uh, yeah, the show just picked up immensely. This show is like now season three is like 10 times better than season one and season two. Like it really stepped up just because, you know, it's really, I mean, I just loved how quickly the show moves, but not only that, because this show has had been moving really quickly season one and season two, but the difference I think in season three, now it feels like its own thing, right? Like as before, a lot of people would compare it to Breaking Bad. And there was certainly those similarities, like I called it Breaking Bad Light. So those similarities are definitely there. But in season three, it kind of came onto its own. It has its own tone. It has its own stories. It has its own characters. It has its own stories it was to tell. It has its own ways of telling this story. And it just was amazing. It was full of fucking thrills. It was added, you know, the stepbrother of, uh, of uh, the wife uh, was added. Not stepbrother, half brother. This is a fucking brother. The brother. There's a brother introduced in this season that kicks it, kicks things up a notch in terms of even acting quality. It goes up. You know the fucking tragedy also goes up. You know what I mean? The the shocking factor. The way this season ends is as shocking as any show you would ever see. You know what I mean? Like the last. Like I'm talking about last two minutes. It's fucking nuts. Um, 
and yeah, just enjoyed it. Now I feel like this is its own thing. And now it was recently announced that season four was going to be an extended 14 episode season. And it was going to split it in two parts. And that's actually perfect because now this is the best season. So now, you know, even if it goes down, if it dips down a little bit, it still is going to be a memorable short just because only one season after season three. It's just great. I, I just loved it. I loved everything about it. Uh, it really surprised me. And yeah, that's uh, that's my number three show of the year. Ozark season three on Netflix. Now, number two is The Last Stance, the Michael Jordan documentary on uh, on ESPN. This was one of the most anticipated things at all in 2020 before, like pre-COVID. And then they managed to put it out during COVID and it helped a lot. And a lot of people were tuned into it. And it was just super interesting documentary to watch, especially because I don't know that much about Michael Jordan. You know what I mean? Like I wasn't, Michael Jordan obviously wasn't my era. And I never really went back and watched like game tape. You know, I, I, I didn't know much about, I knew Michael Jordan is one of those, he's like a mythical figure. Everybody knows he's like one of the best at whatever his craft is ever. Right. So I knew that, but I guess I just didn't really know the extent of all the stories of Michael Jordan and like just watching the footage of the games they was playing in and just fucking whooping ass. And I guess seeing firsthand this documentary did a great thing in showing exactly why Michael Jordan is hailed as the best basketball player of all time and why he's such a mythical figure. It did the perfect job with that. And, I mean, it had a real life. The way it was done with the switching timelines was fucking perfect. You know, there were certain episodes. It was like a cultural thing. Everybody was watching. Everybody was talking about the show, including me. I did episodic reviews for it. That's how big it was. You know what I mean? So, I just loved it. Uh, the way it ended wasn't the best. Like, it kind of ended in a weird way. The last episode kind of just fizzled. It was just like, okay, it's done now. Which made sense because the point of this documentary was to go, it's called The Last Stand. So it's about the last season that Michael Jordan played on the Bulls. Um, and it makes sense that it would end there. But it kind of, well, that's how good the documentary was. I kind of wanted to see more. I was like, what the fuck? That's it? You're just going to end it after this season is done? Which is where you probably should end it because that's what this documentary is about. But yeah, you just get to learn about the whole team and just why Michael Jordan is one of is the greatest basketball player of all time, and it's not even close. You know, my uh, LeBron James is you know he has his claim to fame, but it's definitely not as a great as the goat. He's the goat of this generation, if that makes him feel better, but definitely not the goat goat. And if you see this documentary, you'll see why. All right, that, and that's my number two show, so I really fucking enjoyed this documentary. But now my number one favorite show of 2020 so far is Rami Season 2. I watched Rami Season 1 last year. Wasn't expecting much from it, you know what I mean? Like, I had seen his stand-up clips and stuff on YouTube, so I knew that he was a comedian. But I was just, you know, giving it a shot because it seemed interesting to me, and I really loved it. I think it was in my top five of 2019 last year or definitely if not top five definitely top 10 just because of the things that it was um you know delving into like the show rami is basically just about this egyptian american muslim guy who's just figuring out his faith you know what i mean and that's what the show is really about but again the same way that dave is kind of a very specific thing Rami's also like a very specific thing but it, it and, and it could be a very trite thing to tackle but it just tackles it with so much 
creativity and, you know, a steady hand at the directing and creating of it that, you know, I ran all my energy out in the top five movies. <laughs> like, all the energy went away. I'm sorry, guys. I just, because I just, I don't know. Listen, my camera is going to die anytime soon, right? So I'm recording this also, the video. So I wanted to at least make sure the top five movies of the year so far, that clip is good. You know what I mean? So that I can post that. And now, like I did that, and now I don't even feel like anything matters anymore. Rami's my number one. Rami season two is my number one show of the year so far, and I'm going to tell you why. It's, it fucking it steps up its storytelling by far. It makes Rami the titular character one of the most hated characters of any show that's titled uh, about them. Like, your show's called Rami. You would think that the show that is, the, 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 the show's about, the person that the show's about, that they would make them somewhat likable. But in this season, season two, they say, fuck it, we don't want you to like him at all. We want you to hate this motherfucker to the core. And that's a, that's a fucking bold decision, especially when the show's about this character. But it makes sense this season because it just shows because it's not only about Rami, it's about the world around him. And the fact, and although you end up do hating Rami, you you hate him because he's damaging the world around him. And he's just a fucking shitty person in general in this show. But I love that storytelling aspect of it. Every single, like, individual episodes, whenever they will focus on a family member, were also great. It's just a quality show. It's the reason why one why Rami won some Golden Globes. You know what I mean? Like last year. And then Hulu was like, oh shit, we have a critical darling on our hands. Oh shit. And then they start really promoting it. And now, you know, they're pushing it. So, but well deserved that they won the Golden Globes because, you know, this was a great show. But yeah, that's uh, that though, that's why you should watch Rami Season 2 on Hulu. And that is my number one favorite show of the year. Show far. Alright, there's TV shows. Now let's move into fucking albums, dog. Jesus, I'm fucking tired. I'm a tired little boy. This is, I guess I just don't enjoy talking as much, or I guess I forgot how much talking this is. You know, because I haven't done, like, a podcast where it's just me in a while. So I forgot that this, yeah, it, it, it's taxing. Definitely on the tongue. Pause. I'm not from New York, but that's a pause-worthy moment. You can't mention another man's tongue. Crazy. All right, let's talk about my top five favorite albums of the year so far. And I'm definitely not going to do this on a podcast. If I want to do this, I'm going to have to space it out. If I'm going to give this much energy for every individual thing I was talking about in this episode, I have to give it individual energy because this energy doesn't cut it. And I'm just tired. You know what I mean? I just woke up. I haven't even had my coffee yet. I have bad breath, but you guys can't smell it. So you're fine. Uh, Number five, Lil Uzi, Vert, Eternal Take. That's my fifth favorite show, favorite uh, album of the year so far. And this, and this list is definitely one of the most anticipated albums of the year. I mean, when Uzi, I mean, Eternal Take, this motherfucker announced Eternal Take like two years ago, right? So this is an album that everybody has been anticipating for a while. And, you know, he finally dropped it. And I really enjoyed it, And which is funny because a lot of people didn't enjoy this album. Because of the rapping Uzi. But I think that was my favorite part of it. Because I thought it was flowing. Granted, he might not have been saying the best. Like, he wasn't wasn't blowing me away with his rhymes. Right? But he was 
it sounded good. Listen, I at the end of the day, I give a fuck about about, about melody and flow and what sounds good to me. It's and not really lyrics. Lyrics isn't the number one priority. Although I do have some really good rap albums, so that kind of contradicts that. But regardless, listen, Lozy Vert Eternal Take, my fav- favorite show, of the uh, favorite album. Why the fuck I keep saying show? My fav- favorite album of the year. Uh, you know, Uzi. The way I, I feel like it's split up. It is like rapping and then melodic and then old Uzi. I think that is kind of the structure of the album. I think the structure is definitely well. It's a very cohesive album. I feel like every song flows well. I enjoy. I really love almost every song on the album. So of course I want to put it in my top five. And yeah, that's my top five. That's my fifth favorite album. Almost that show again. That's for five favorite. My fifth favorite album of the year so far. Now let's move on to my number four album. Stove God Cooks, Reasonable Drought. Now, this is a, a, a fucking out of left field fucking entry in this top five because this guy is super unknown right now. Stove God Cooks is just a rapper who reminded me a lot of West Side Gun because it's, but it's, he's like if West Side Gun was a better rapper. <laughs> <laughs> That's what Stove Got Cooks would be. Because listen, the reason I loved uh, Stove Got Cooks is reasonable drought so much. It's because, how do I say it? It's because, like, the fucking personality of this guy when he's rapping in the unique factor of it fucking punched me in the face. Like, I was not expecting to be that blown away by how amazing and how unique his style is. You know what I mean? That's what I loved the most about it. So that's why I had to go on number four. Reasonable Drought, Stove Guy Cooks. A very interesting rap voice that I hope blows up. And he probably will, based on how just unique he is. He's even going to be featured in uh, West Side Gun's album, uh, 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 Flight God is an Awesome God Part 2. Uh, he's going to be featured. He's like featuring like five of those songs. So that's great because Stove God Cooks is definitely a rapper to look out for. And Reasonable Drought is my fourth favorite album of the year. Now let's move on to number three. Run the Jewels. Run the Jewels 4. They finally released the fourth installment of this very critically acclaimed album series. People loved the first one, people love the second one, people love the third one, and surprise, surprise, people love the fourth one, especially considering how fucking topical it now feels. Even though this all shit that they've been talking about for a long time, it all makes sense. It all makes sense. You know what I mean? It's all things that, it, 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 everything they talk about is literally shit that is happening right now. So then the impact of this album is going to be fucking crazy. But the thing that I love the most, I think this album has my favorite beats of any Run The Jewels album so far. You know what I mean? And I, I love the fact that it's like 11 songs, super fucking tight. It's really hype, you know what I mean? But also really introspective. You know, the rapping is amazing. The features are amazing. Production is amazing. How much can I say about this album? You know what I mean? That's it. That It's, it's, it's number three because is. It might be the best Run the Jewels album, you know, yet. And the past albums have been amazing. So I don't know what else I have to say. You know what I mean? That's why it's number three. All right, now let's move on to number two. An album that I have been, I had been anticipating this year. Just because that vibe of it. I had a feeling this was going to be a special project. Just because of everything surrounding it. But West Side Guns, Pray for Paris is my second favorite album of the year. I loved almost every single song on it. You know what I mean? I love the way it starts and ends. 
You know what I mean? There's some spoilers for an album review, right? The way it starts is with this bidding, what this $400 million like bid. So it already gives you this sense of luxury. And then the last out, the loss, the last song is tab dancing. And so literal tap dancing. Listen, this album is something fucking special. It's all I can really say about it. It's just special. You know, for these types of rap albums, I feel like there's nobody providing a unique aesthetic to it as much as West Side Gun is doing, right? So much so that his fucking aesthetic for like real hardcore rappers is being copied by every single fucking rapper now that didn't make it in the past five years. So now they're just using that aesthetic and that's probably going to help them. But that's the reason why this type of really rap heavy, like grimy, like 90s style hip hop album like hit for me. It will hit for a lot of people because the aesthetic at the end of the day, people love aesthetic. I love aesthetic and the aesthetic of this album is fucking impeccable. But it's not as impeccable. It, it is it's, it's impeccable, but it's not as amazing in terms of aesthetic as the aesthetic that The Weeknd created for After Hours, which is my favorite album of the year so far. I mean, talk about aesthetic and creating a world. This motherfucker, The Weeknd, got a new hairstyle, got a new suit, and made a bunch of uh, uh, music videos that all fit together sort of like in a narrative way. And then the album dropped and then... I fucking loved every single one of them. And it's funny because when the album first dropped, the hype for this album was so high, including all the songs, right? Like coming off of uh, Heart, uh, Heartless, um, Blinding Lights, and then the After Hours single. You know, coming after those three songs, like the hype for this album was immeasurable. And then it came out and it was something different than I was expecting based on my hype, right? So I didn't love it at first, but when I took away those anticipation glasses off, I threw them in the fucking trash, and then I looked at it as it is, I'm like, let me look at this objectively. What is this album? Let me put this on. What is this album? And I put those glasses on, and that's how it became my number one album of the year, because I just feel like it was... It wasn't, listen, some people have criticized it saying it wasn't varied enough, you know, as an album. I understand that. I understand what people are saying, that, But I just loved every single song of it. You know what I mean? So how the fuck am I not going to love the album? And I feel like it just feels cohesive as fuck. If anything, it actually has an amazing sequencing that creates an amazing pacing. I loved all the songs, even the songs that people don't typically like from the weekend, like the Too Late song or the fucking drill style beat, uh, the the song that he put out, I uh, ended up loving that one, like Faith, you know what I mean, that was an amazing song, Escape from LA, my favorite song on it, listen, it had all my favorite sounds from the weekend, all mixed together, that's why it's my favorite album of the year, and it's just quality, you know what I mean, like I love when an album, I love quality and shit, right, even if I don't personally enjoy it subjectively, whenever I see quality, I gravitate towards it, right? So I always give a favorable review to something that feels quality to me, even though I may not have enjoyed it. But this is the rare album that is quality and I love it. So my objective opinion on it and my subjective opinion on it just mash together perfectly. And that's why it's my number one album of the year. Listen, I had EPs that I was going to review, but I'm too goddamn tired so I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I'm tired as fuck. You know, all the en- I t- too much energy. These top fives, man, there's a lot of energy that goes into them. I'm too tired to do this shit. So 
Uh, I'm just going to run down really quickly my, my top five EPs of the year were. IDK, dropped IDK and Friends like a week ago. I it made it in my top five EPs. Number four, Black, Six Feet Hot, also something that came out like a couple of weeks ago. Also, you know, on there. Five Year Foreign, dropped at the beginning of the year. 800 Before Corona, that EP is great. Brent Fayez, Fuck the World, that EP. That's like the cool R&B project that all the cool kids are listening to. And I loved it, so I guess I'm a cool kid. That's awesome, finally. And my favorite uh, EP of the year is Rumor, RMR, Drug Dealing is a Lost Art. Uh, an artist that came out of nowhere this year with Rascal, and that was blowing up. And is going to have the song that I'm going to play for my outro song. So, so far in the year, my favorite song of the year is RMR's Dealer, and I'm going to play that to end the episode. But right before the end of the episode, I got to do a sort of you know, proper outro. So I just want to say thank you guys so much for listening to the EP show, episode four. Now I'm going to start doing this thing where I'm going to tell you what I'm going to review for the next episode of the EP show. So the next episode of the EP show, I'm going to be reviewing Pop Smokes' debut album that comes out today and i'm also going to review hamilton uh which is on disney plus is finally able it's finally out for us to see it instead of having to pay overpriced tickets to see it live so i'm going to review i'm going to be reviewing those two things so that's going to be for the next episode so if you guys want to join the conversation you know if you want to share your opinions on it and know what i'm going to be talking about for the next eb show those are the two things i'm going to be reviewing i'm going to be reviewing But uh, yeah, until that episode, thank you guys so much for listening, and I'll see you next week for episode five of the EP show. Load, please. Taking forever, it's load. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's just what happens when, you know, you want something to work and it doesn't. Should play now. Let me do that outro again. Thank you guys so much for listening to episode four of the EP show, and I'll see you guys next week for episode five of the EP show. Fuck yeah. She tryna take me, nigga. Ramming on the pills, my nigga. Bitches bitchin' at me go slow. But you ain't gon' see them all bro. Packers said pills, my nigga. Can't stop fucking around with them. Papa saying go sip a tag with it. Whole thing got me in my feelings. Sip it, better keep on sipping. Drinking bottles at the bottles, feeling all exquisite. Fucking models at the models, all these hoes junkies. Can't see me tinted inside my belly. Things in the club and the sweat, the hilly. Hines at the bathroom, big drug dealing. Holding got me in my feelings. Holding got me in my feelings. I'm high now, got a bowl, got a roll by the projects. Drop a pack, feed a hood, living lawless. Tax free, I'm the nigga living lawless. Hit Diego NASCAR, get my keys up. That's a plug, my amigo, that a real. Switch the 20s for the 50s, 100k more. Switch the 50s for the hundreds, that's the K, yo. Can't seem to find my fans. They don't seem to know their place. May he take my enemy. Let it sing amazing grace mm-hmm. Shit tryna take me, nigga Ramming on the pills, my nigga Bitches bitchin' at me go slow But you ain't gon' see them all, bro Percocet pills, my nigga Can't stop fucking around with them Papa saying go sip a tag with it Whole thing got me in my feelings Baked out, I'm sipping pull forward and I lift off You trippin' if you thinkin' I'm a crit dog I'm a dealer, not the addict, nigga, I'm a boss Codeine got a nigga, I ain't tweaking system I got in my system Hello, wah, wah Withdraw, wah, wah Can't seem to find my fans They 
they don't seem to know their place May he take my enemy Let it sing amazing grace Tryna take me, nigga. Blaming on the pills, my nigga. They just bitchin' at me go slow. But you ain't gon' see them all, bro. Percocet pills, my nigga. Can't stop fuckin' around with them. Papa's saying go sip a tag with it. Whole thing got me in my feelings.